Hello and welcome to the Business Standard Morning Show. I am Ruchika Chitravanshi. It is 31st of January 2024 and here are the questions we will be answering today. Why does tomorrow's budget matter? What will coaching industry's future look like after new rules? Which sectors should be on your radar ahead of the interim budget? And what is the UNRWA? The Union Finance Ministry on Monday exuded confidence in a report that the Indian economy will expand at 7% or more in FY25 and that the country will become the third largest economy in the next three years. This economic review report has set the tone for tabling of the interim budget tomorrow. But what are the expectations? Which areas are likely to get more attention? Business Standard team breaks it down for you. Of late, Prime Minister Narendra Modi has spoken of two broad themes. One, Vikas Bhi, Virasat Bhi, which is ushering in development along with honoring tradition. And the second, his identification of four castes, namely the poor, women, farmers and youth. Uh, in terms of honoring tradition, there could be a nod to what the Sangh Parivar has started calling the temple economy. As for the second theme, the government could try put more money in people's pockets, whether by introducing a welfare scheme, a monthly allowance for women, which the BJP ruled state governments and also some of the Congress ruled state governments have already done. And there could be increased allocations for existing welfare schemes for farmers and the poor. However, one would like to see how the government responds to the opposition's criticism about joblessness and the demand for restoring the old pension scheme. The electoral strength comes from the rural part of the country for many in many, many states. In fact, in most of the states, rural uh, economy is the bigger proportion than the uh, urban economy. And any government or any political party which manages to capture the imagination of the rural uh, uh, people or the rural economy and the farmers, obviously, who are an integral part of the rural economy, they have they have managed to stay in power. And this government, since it has come to uh, power in 2014, has made very concerted attempts to focus on the rural economy as well as on the agriculture sector. Schemes like PM Kisan, PM Fasal Bima Yojana, your uh, irrigation schemes, Pradhan Mantri Krishi Sicha Yojana, your free food grain scheme for the rural, uh, for the entire country uh, as such, but also the rural uh, economy, even the uh, projects, the drinking water project, the Jal Jeevan mission, the toilet projects in rural economy, the houses in rural uh, uh, rural houses, the roads in rural uh, Pradhan Mantri Gramin Sadak Yojana, all have been very well funded by the government since 2014, since it came to power. Now, we expect the same to continue in the coming budget, uh, budget interim budget as well, because that is where this government wants to move forward to, to create tangible, durable assets in the rural economies so that it has a long-term benefit. Government's CAPEX push has been relentless. And in the upcoming interim budget as well, the expectation is that the government will continue to push the pedal on capital expenditure with the hope that it will crowd in more and more private investment, which is yet to kick in, in a, bit, uh, kick in, in a big, uh, big way. While the interim budget will be judged initially by whether the finance minister sticks to her promise of not making any spectacular announcement, ultimately as the dust settles, it will be judged 
by whether the underlying fiscal math of the budget are credible or not. This is more so because the uh, because of India's inclusion in the global bond indices starting next financial year. The markets will uh, reward if the underlying assumptions on growth, revenue collections, disinvestment, borrowing are credible. If the government allocates higher capex for FY25, uh, uh, say more than 12 uh, trillion uh, rupees, then the market may cheer it. But uh, uh, what should also worry if the government uh, is not able to achieve the FY24 capex target of uh, uh, rupees 11 trillion, because this would mean that there are not uh, enough large projects in the pipeline uh, to absorb the kind of money the government. Uh, uh, wants to spend in uh, capex from uh, this budget uh, uh, essentially uh, a, a clear message from the finance minister uh, that the government uh, is uh, fully committed to the path of fiscal consolidation as outlined a few years ago by her without compromising on uh, capital expenditure push and without compromising on uh, any issues uh, that uh, make the budget less transparent. This interim budget uh, is being presented uh, at a time when uh, the Indian economy uh, is uh, preparing uh, uh, to chart uh, uh, its growth path uh, after recovering from the COVID. Uh, therefore, uh, it has to make sure uh, that uh, the budget has enough incentives or indications that both uh, its uh, measures to uh, boost investment as well as to encourage demand in the economy, uh, those goals are met. Clearly, expectations from the interim budget are running high. The government will indeed have to do a tough balancing act. Moving on, the government recently came out with a set of guidelines for the coaching industry. It bars coaching centres from enrolling students below 16 years of age. It also calls for appointment of trained counsellors and warns coaching centres against making misleading promises. So what will be the future of the coaching industry after new guidelines? Ayush Mishra finds out. Education in India is a high-ticket affair. At the higher level, it is notoriously cutthroat as well. That's where the coaching institutes come in to help students prepare for the coveted seats in premier institutes or land-prized job positions. No wonder the industry saw remarkable growth in the past decade. Currently, 1,258 active companies provide education or training through offline coaching centres in India, data from Traxon reveals. Pune-based consultancy firm Infinium Global Research pegged the size of the industry at 58,088 crore rupees in 2022. By 2030, it is expected to grow around 1,81,000 crore rupees. While private coaching centres are expected to more than double in five years, the Ministry of Education's new guidelines for coaching centres may impede some of the projected growth. The guidelines came amid rising student suicides, fire incidents, lack of facilities, as well as methodologies of teaching, which attracted the government's attention. 
The guidelines prohibit the enrollment of students below 16 years, mitigate concerns of excessive fees, stress, suicides and malpractices of private coaching centers in the absence of enough regulations. Coaching centers are now subject to penalties for violating registration terms. Tutors must hold at least a graduation degree and misleading promises in advertisements are prohibited. Hiring individuals with moral turpitude convictions is forbidden and institutes must have a counseling system to be registered as per the guidelines. The annual status of education report 2022 reveals that over the past decade, rural India witnessed a consistent rise in the percentage of students between standard 1 and 8 taking paid private tuition classes. According to Maheshwar Perry, founder of online career counselling and education services firm Career360, 25 to 35% of the business of coaching institutes comes from foundation courses for standard 5 to 10. That component of their business will be hit, he said in a recent conversation with Business Standard. So how will new guidelines decide the future of the coaching industry? The future of the coaching institutes is that they're going to stay here and they will find way and means also. But at the same time, yes, it will regulate the industry because till now there were no regulations. So these industries were being handled without any regulations. So it's a welcome step. And the future of coaching state is bright because still we have many entering exams to do to beat for. State governments would be responsible for overseeing coaching centre activities, ensuring compliance of registration eligibility and satisfactory operations. Will they face challenges in meeting these new requirements? When norms are uh, set and guidelines are issued automatically, our Indian education system or coaching centre will start accepting. Probably initially there will be a few teething problems because not an unavailability of qualified personnel, qualified trainers, but, but for sure, within two years or probably maximum four years, the coaching industry will start accepting the new guidelines and will raise the bar of trainers and their qualifications so that the students are benefited. Mayank Kumar, co-founder of EdTech Unicorn Upgrad, points out that demand for coaching is very high in India. It means parents, students and coaching institutes will find alternatives to cater to the demand for these competitive examinations, he said. Rohit Jain of Singhania Solicitors and Advocates takes us through the legal aspects of new guidelines. First point is constitutionality. That, uh, you know, I mean, uh, what are the what is the constitutionality of these guidelines? Uh, there's a fundamental right to trade occupation profession under Article 19.1G of the Constitution. So, uh, uh, since these guidelines, uh, you know, uh, provide fetters or regulates that trade uh, you know, how, how, how will it be, you know, how will it stand the constitutional, you know, uh, uh, dictum? Uh, the second point is that, you know, is, is, is Ministry of Education having the locus to come out with these guidelines, considering that historically the business of coaching center has been considered to be a commercial business and not really an education per se. Uh, third point which comes to my mind is that uh, the concept of uh, you know registering with with the authorities this uh, this uh, provision of registration is under which act to bring in transparency the government has mandated coaching centers to put all fees tutor details courses counseling systems and related information on their websites the registration of a coaching center can be revoked if the center breaches guidelines or registration terms 
According to a National Sample Survey Office report, one in every four students in India takes private coaching. The highest proportion was in Tripura, with three in every four students taking private coaching. West Bengal, Bihar and Chandigarh followed. On average, each student in India today incurs 2,128 rupees in private coaching for any course for one academic session. While the new guidelines can disrupt India's private coaching sector, it is anticipated that new innovative models such as online alternatives for learners under the age of 16 will emerge. After the coaching industry, let us now turn our focus back to the budget theme. While market participants may not be expecting any major policy announcements in tomorrow's interim budget, they are still keenly awaiting the budgetary support across various sectors to gauge the expected opportunities that will arise for related companies. So which sectors are expected to derive most government support in the interim budget and how should you position your portfolio? Harshita Singh's report finds out. The pre-election interim budget on 1st February may not see any major policy initiatives as big-ticket announcements are expected later in July after the new government is elected to power, analysts say. The overall capex spending for FY25 is also expected to moderate, with economists pegging total allocation at around 11 trillion rupees, only 10% higher than the 10 trillion rupees budgeted for the current fiscal. This was notably an increase of 37% against the budgeted allocation in FY23. However, despite the moderation, analysts expect infrastructure pockets like railway, capital goods and construction to remain priority areas which will likely see increased outlay. Sectors which uh, you know look good uh, to play for the budget include capital goods companies, uh, essentially machinery supplier for uh, infrastructure uh, developers. Uh, apart from that, uh, construction companies should also do well and uh, railway contracting companies should also do well. Uh, the only uh, problem with uh, some of these uh, names, especially in the railways and the defense sector, is that the valuations have run up ahead of fundamentals. Uh, but there are enough uh, island of uh, sanity in terms of valuation in the capital goods space and the construction space, which one can play for the upcoming budget. Notably, select stocks in the rail and defence sectors like RVNL, Bharat Dynamics, BEML, Titagar, Bharat Forge and Astra Micro have rallied 18 to 91% in the last three months, valued at one-year trailing multiples of as much as 85 times. Meanwhile, rural and agri support is expected to garner the most attention after infrastructure. Food and fertilizer subsidies will be eyed given the lackluster rural demand. Rural economy and the lower income segments demand seems to be uh, still weak. Uh, so versus capital expenditure, I would expect a little more focus on the rural economy, uh, some more subsidies or some packages for the rural uh, and the lower income segments. Insurance scheme for the farmers, the crop insurance, health schemes, uh, uh, food subsidy schemes will actually be con uh, you know, continued and maybe even uh, uh, you know, taken further. So I would say that companies in these segments, catering to these segments uh, should, should actually outperform if we see some significant announcement. 
Development schemes including Manrega and PM Kisan are also expected to see higher outlay to boost rural consumption as per analysts. Those at Sheikh Khan expect this to augur well for consumer staple companies and two-wheelers. Their top picks in the rural focus theme include Hiromoto, M&M, Escorts, Hindustan Unilever, ITC and Dabar India. Thus, analysts suggest keeping a stock-specific view within the rural and infrastructure themes to make the most of the budget support for these sectors. Today, on 31st January, Q3 earnings of Bank of Baroda, Ambuja Cements, Dabur and Godrej Consumer, among others, will be on investors' radar. He's making plans for an early retirement. Business Standard Meanwhile, the government's economic review report talks about a common concern, that is, the rising geopolitical risk. Markets too is keeping an eye on the rising escalations in various parts. The ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict is one of them. Several European nations have now decided to halt financial support to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees or UNRWA. But why? because some agency members were allegedly involved in the October 7 terrorist attack. But what exactly is UNRWA? What does it do? Ayush Mishra explains. At least 13 countries have stopped funding the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA, after Israel alleged that its 12 staff members were involved in the October 7 attack, which killed over a thousand of its citizens. These countries provided more than half of UNRWA's 2022 budget. On its part, the agency has launched a probe into the allegations, but at the same time it has appealed to the countries to resume the aid, saying it's very crucial for the people of Palestine. UNRWA facilities across Gaza have been used to shelter thousands of displaced civilians fleeing Israeli bombardment. Several such shelters have come under missile attacks. The Israeli government, meanwhile, has accused Hamas and other militant groups of siphoning off aid and using UN facilities for military purposes. UNRWA, the United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees, plays a crucial role in delivering essential aid and services to millions across the Middle East, particularly in Gaza during conflicts. Established by the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 302-4 on December 8, 1949, after the 1948 war, UNRWA started direct relief and work programs for Palestine refugees starting May 1, 1950. This agency has played a crucial role in the welfare of four generations of Palestine refugees. As a subsidiary body of the United Nations General Assembly, UNRWA's mandate is subject to periodic renewal every three years and has consistently been extended since its founding, most recently until June 30, 2026. UNRWA, with over 30,000 employees, primarily Palestinian refugees and a small number of international staff, was initially focused on providing employment and direct relief. However, its mandate has broadened to include education, healthcare and social services. 
operating in Jordan, Lebanon, Syria and Gaza Strip and the West Bank including East Jerusalem, UNRWA exclusively assists Palestinian refugees. UNRWA's funding, being voluntary, has occasionally posed financial difficulties, especially during crisis or changes in political landscape among donor nations. Trusted Bank, SBI, the banker to every Indian. UN officials, meanwhile, have urged countries to reconsider their decision to suspend the aid while assuring that it would take strict action against any staff member found to be involved in the October 7 attack. Well, that's all we have for you today. For more news and analysis, please log on to business-standard.com. Thank you for watching. For more news, views and updates, subscribe to Business Standard on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast and Spotify. Also follow us on YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn.